Next in Nonprofits, I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Vanessa Wakeman, nonprofit futurist and CEO of the Wakeman Agency. Vanessa, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have our conversation today. You are the first person I have ever met who has the uh, the title nonprofit futurist, and I absolutely love it. You know, I called this uh, podcast Next in Nonprofits because I think it's so important to look forward. And I want to talk with you more about that futurist conversation in just a moment. But before we do, can you just kind of ground people in uh, your daily work? What uh, what do you do at the Wakeman Agency? Sure. So we are a social change agency. Uh, we work with nonprofits um, to navigate the ecosystem of social change. So that could be public relations support, that could be event fundraising, it should be strategic uh, council, um, you know, special events, any of the areas that help them to fulfill their mission. And sometimes those are all the things happening at once, or it could be one of those elements of support. And so uh, we've been working with nonprofits for about uh, 17 years now, this is our 17th anniversary, and really just trying to help them think through what is possible for the organization and um, hoping and trying to define for organizations like what needs to happen to fulfill your mission? How do we, what, what steps need to be taken to put your organization out of business? <laughs> I think that's a wonderful theme for charities to kind of think about is how do we get to that change state where, you know, some of our work may not be necessary and uh, things are just better for more people over time. And that's a great framework to think about the future. And uh, we're having this conversation in May of 2020 when the future is anything but certain. Uh, many nonprofits had strategic plans that they put a lot of good energy and thought into things that they wanted to project forward that are wholesale having to be relooked and reworked and rethought about. Uh, so as we're in this extremely tumultuous moment, uh, how do you begin a conversation with a, a new mission-based organization that's like, wow, Vanessa, we thought we had ideas on what was going to happen, but we're not sure about our in-person events, our service delivery, our, you know, whatever the next thing is. How do you help them start grounding in what we can learn today? Well, I, I think that's a great question. So one of the first things uh, that I see here as an opportunity, and I am an eternal optimist, is really the ability to look at the future. So often organizations are um, under-resourced and really in the moment of like, how do we take care of what's right in front of us? There's a need, you know, right here, we need to, uh, you know, help this sort of audience of people. There's great demand. And so I feel like this crisis is forcing all of us to really think beyond right now. So there's a, a tremendous amount of uncertainty in this moment, and that will continue to sort of unfold in different ways over the next you know several months or years and so i think that the first question is how do we prepare like what is the sort of future state that we want to prepare for and how do we reverse engineer our efforts to sort of create that um and so thinking about what is the mission of the organization and how do they fulfill that what steps need to happen what support do you need uh what funding do you need how do we communicate and message that so I think it really is uh, sort of hitting a reset button and helping organizations to rethink about where they are right now and more importantly, where they want to be. 
So with so many things uncertain from how we thought they were, so you mentioned, for example, um, what sort of resources may be necessary to accomplish this mission. And usually people think about that in terms of financial resources to hire people and buy supplies and pay for rent and all those sorts of things. Um, I think a lot of folks uh, may have had a, an idea of what their resource needs were and maybe an idea of how they were going to get them, including, well, you know, we've got the big summer gala coming up. So, you know, that will bring in X number of dollars like it usually does. So we'll plan all those things. When those tools are sort of removed from the situation, though, and perhaps even the need grows on top of the fact that the traditional tool is removed, um, how do we both kind of get past this immediate, oh my gosh, we need some operating support right now, but also start planning for that future date of maybe this changes how people think about resource development in this nonprofit for a long period of time, not just the next few months, but maybe a lot longer. So I think as um, a sector overall, uh, I think the pivotal moment here is around reframing the conversation and ultimately the power of the nonprofit industry. And so in so many relationships, um, nonprofits are sort of beholden to, will this foundation sort of um, support us? Will they give us a grant? Will they refund a grant, will, you know, renew a grant? Will this donor come back again? And it, it's always sort of this sort of dance that organizations have to do. But we're seeing right now in this moment how very dependent our country is on the services provided by nonprofits. They are um, sort of uh, taking on a tremendous amount of the burden of sort of taking care of the most vulnerable populations among us. And to me, that places them in an incredible place of power. Um, they may not recognize it, or, you know, may not realize just, just how important they are in this sort of universe or ecosystem. But I think that the first step, um, you know, if I was sort of leading the the charge, the first step I see is for us to sort of re-communicate and reevaluate how we're positioning the nonprofit sector. So we have government. Government sort of has, you know, fallen short over you know, a number of decades as far as how they are supporting um, social issues. Yeah. Corporate sort of has a, you know, we can support you in these ways, but there are some limits. They're not really in the business of, you know, taking care of, you know, people in the way that nonprofits do. So nonprofits are sort of holding up, you know, to sort of, you know, uh, use Nick Kristoff's book, they're holding up half the sky, if not more. And so how do we position them that, so that they're always able to do that without the stress of figuring out if we'll be here next week or if we'll have enough money or if we can make payroll? Do we have to tell our team that payroll is going to be delayed or, you know, we're going to be downsizing or having, you know, flexible work shift because we don't have enough money? Like that's such a ridiculous notion, um, particularly as we're watching and seeing firsthand how much the nonprofit sector is doing um, for communities all over the country. So gro ground in an, an example of that, if you would, for a particular charity. So you talk about the, the sector in general having you know more influence, more power than perhaps they are thinking about because of the impact they have on people's lives. But how do we kind of localize today's issues around a particular charitable mission? Um, let's, let's pick folks working in food right now is, I, I think, a particularly difficult uh, place to be and start thinking of themselves as if you're in this position of uh, addressing that community need today where it's kind of crisis level, 
how do we start thinking about how that changes how your relationship with community is next year or two years or five years from now? Can you talk through a little bit of, of what that might look like more localized to a specific charity or mission? Sure. So I, I think that um, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic has absolutely shifted um, an under our understanding or our belief around, you know, what's important or who's important. I hate that we live in a society where we sort of think that, you know, these big jobs are more important than these, you know, other jobs, these, you know, sort of service industry jobs. And we're seeing essential workers. So there's been like a, a flipping, if you will, of, um, what, what, what's important and sort of understanding how everything sort of works together for our greatest good just as you know humanity. And so I think that if I'm thinking about a local charity connected to sort of food um, or the restaurant industry, I think that um, considering sharing uh, what is happening in those communities? Like how how are they impacting communities? Like what is able to happen because these organizations exist? Um, and then thinking about not just you know what's happening right now, but what's emerging as a result of what you're seeing right now. So I am believing that not only are we going to um, have to expand the way we are supporting organizations based on you know the the requests that are coming into them, but they're going to be emerging needs that we don't even know exist yet. Like we haven't seen them yet, and so how do we prepare for that? And so I, I think that sometimes during a crisis or during an emergency, we see this sort of outpouring of support, and then when things go back to quote unquote normal, there's a shift. But I think that here, because we we are hearing that you know this is going to be a sustained crisis, that we need to be prepared for the next normal. And so organizations need to sort of communicate what the need is now and then also looking toward the future. And so I've been talking about uh, the communications approach and sort of this will apply to what you asked about as sort of like a four or five phase scenario. So early on in the crisis, we were in a, a state of fear, right? And so organizations need to communicate um, to their audiences this understanding of, you know, we share that fear, we're, we're sort of, you know, in this together. And then from fear, we went to grief. Um, you know, there's so much death happening around us and so much, you know, sadness and suffering. Uh, you know, we're all grieving in different ways. And so you're communicating, you know, that shared grief and that understanding of what we're going through as a community, as a country, as a world, and um, just sort of con connecting on a human level. Um, and then the next phase that I see is uh, the hope phase. That is where we sort of are talking about, like, we've gotten through these first two stages and we sort of see what is going to happen or what's possible. There's some hope there. But in order to communicate that hope, we need organizations to be able to see the future, to see um, what's possible for them. So being able to communicate and uh, sort of building that shared vision around how your support or your um, connection to our organization is going to get us to this next state, this next normal. Uh, and then that sort of fourth stage is the sort of recovery and that next normal in us sort of re- uh, defining what life looks like and what the needs are for organizations. So I think that communications is critical to this and sort of making sure that people understand exactly who the organization is. I think that a mission of an organization, you know, pre-COVID, there's some huge potential and possibility for shifting. And so being able to really recognize and understand what's changed for your organization and being able to communicate that out to audiences is going to be really helpful. I'm seeing some folks that, you know, maybe haven't moved past that 
fear part of this. However, in terms of nonprofit management and conversation where uh, you've got people going, well, I don't know what's going to happen next, so let's just wait. Uh, let's you know hold on, and then we'll start making some decisions about communication. Then we'll start talking to people. And I, um, I, I have a concern for some of those organizations that I see that happening with that. You know, they're they're really missing an opportunity to define the conversation as it evolves, even though we don't know necessarily what the new future is going to look like. But when you were emphasizing there that communication about your role in this mission and whatnot, um, seems to me that what I was hearing is some urgency in, in that. Am I correct in that take? Absolute urgency. And I agree with you. Those organizations that are waiting are um, setting themselves up to be among the lower priorities for their audiences. I think that communicating during this process is essential. And I, I would challenge any organization who says, you know, we don't know what's going to happen to sort of trust themselves. If you've been doing this work, if you're closest to the work, you have some um, knowledge that others don't and can sort of read some of the, the shifts or the opportunities or the challenges that may be waiting for you on the other side. And even if you're wrong, be able to sort of share what you're thinking about, what you're concerned about, what you're fearful about. I think that's even important, but to not communicate anything and take a let's wait and see approach, I think you're doing um, uh, yourself a, a, a disservice. And that may be one of those big lessons for those future years coming out is I think there may in the past have been a tendency to say that if we can't say something with 100% certainty, let's, you know, wait on that or do whatever. And maybe what we're learning in this evolved, uh, changed time is that we're going to be dealing with more uncertainty more often. And we're just going to have to communicate that, that, you know, here's what we do know, here's what we are doing, here's the things we don't know. And when we know them, we will talk with you about them. But because of the things that we don't know, this is the action we're taking today. Here is the path that we have, even if it's just this gets us two months from now, this gets us five months from now, not necessarily we now have this perfect logic model that that shows us um, this, this path forward in our nonprofit mission for the next 35 years, uh, that we may have to be communicating more frequently and with less certainty moving forward. I mean, that could just be a pattern that sticks even after some of this COVID stuff is resolved, yes? That that is a pattern that could stick, and I part of me I don't know if I should be saying this out loud. Part of part of me hopes that it does. Um, I think that there within that sort of framework, there is so much uh, exciting opportunity to me around disruption and innovation for the sector, like sort of riding the wave of like this is what's happening right now, and so our organization is being responsive, and we can do these five things right now, and maybe you know six weeks, eight weeks from now, it's something different. Um, nonprofits haven't had the space to be creative and innovative. They haven't had the financial support to do that. And so this is like a, a, a change that a welcome change is could be scary. I totally get that. But I think that it is um, something that could really reinvigorate and re-energize the sector and maybe help us think about other ways to approach some of the problems we're trying to solve. So what other lessons do you think we can be learning from what's happening in this time that help us reshape thinking about the future? What would that nonprofit future look like outside of things, some of those things around, you know, less certainty in communications and focus and, and having to be more nimble uh, coming up? Are there other things that you are thinking about or talking to clients with about um, this time that we can be learning from and preparing to sort of live with longer term? 
Yes, uh, I, I do think that, as I mentioned earlier, that there are going to be some emerging uh, needs, which will potentially create new ways of organizations to provide services or servicing um, different audiences than what they intended. And so thinking about what, what's changing or what transformation is underfoot as a result of you know this crisis and how it unfolds. Um, I think that fundraising, um, because we have moved, uh, at least for now, from an in-person scenario where organizations were, you know, were heavily um, relying on gala revenue, those in-person events. And so with looking at you know, how some of that can be uh, managed online, uh, the opportunity to connect with other audiences beyond the uh, geographic area. I think that that's exciting. And how do we connect with people um, who may not be, you know, in the same zip code or in the same city, but are really interested in the work of an organization and how are you reaching them? So I think that um, sort of those online communications, digital strategy, I think that that's another uh, thing that's going to really open up the eyes of organizations about wow, we you know we people are interested in what we're doing, you know, a hundred miles away or across the country. This is really exciting. Um, I think that for me, the the thing that I, I want to see is really see organizations stepping into their power. And I know that that seems like so unrealistic when we have so many uh, external factors that they rely on for support. But I think that if ever there is a time to do that, this crisis is going to show um, how uh, much we need the nonprofit sector and ideally be able to sort of set them up to have a, a different seat at the table um, to sort of show funders and individual donors, like this is what the need is, or this is what I'm anticipating, and to have the power and the uh, the trust in the relationship where they don't have to sort of, you know, fill out the, you know, the measurements or the, the criteria for, you know, how did you spend the money, but organizations who are supporting them or individuals who are supporting them understand that, if this CEO is saying that this is, you know, the the growing need or what they see, I'm trusting that and believing that, and so we're going to be partnering and collaborating on how we are, you know, sort of shifting um, how we how we respond to the social issue. Well, I, you've raised a couple of things there that I want to follow up on that I think are really interesting, but let's take them kind of in the reverse order because the last thing you were touching on about the ability to bring in institutional stakeholders into the work, some of them funders, some of them partners, but you know other groups uh, to our mission work with maybe less, uh, how do I say this lovingly, bureaucracy um, <laughs> than we've had in the past where it's um, very specific, uh, you know, we need these outcome measures in these times, but rather more self-defined or somehow more collaboratively put together and, and again, more nimble um, definitions. I think part of the challenge of the institutional funding world right now and partnerships uh, with them tends to be, um, yeah, we've got $25,000 available if you just put these 15 hours of staff time into applying for it. Like, right. oh my gosh, it's not that big a grant. Why are you asking for all of this stuff, which in in my opinion, often doesn't really get acted on or utilized by that partner. They just feel the need to gather it. And you know, if they were acting on it, it might be different. But I feel like there's this moment here where the urgency around just approve the thing, just get it going, 
um, is is more than we've seen in the past. Um, I'm concerned that maybe that won't stick, but but do you think that there's that opportunity from you know those supporters, those partners, the funders to kind of take this moment of quick action and go, you know what, maybe it worked out okay to act faster with less restriction and less of these other things to still have you know um, some impact on community? Yes, uh, I think that what the data that's collected from this period of rapid response giving and the relaxing of you know uh, measurement and reporting and application and and time frames, if this works, and so far we are seeing that it's working, I, I would be very hard pressed to to sort of understand and believe that we would need to return to our previous ways of doing like, if this is able to accelerate change and accelerate the way that people are being helped, then what would be the benefit of going back to the old format of, you know, distributing funds? So I think that there should be lots of questions around um, what is the next normal? Like what can uh, sort of uh, institutional giving look like in a way that relaxes some of those uh, typical and traditional requirements. I recall, I think it was last year, um, Ford Foundation, and I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering this, Ford Hewlett Packard, a uh, Hewlett Foundation, Packard Foundation, uh, I think Knight Foundation and MacArthur, they all um, sort of met and shared that and announced that they would be uh, giving money to other things beyond just sort of programs. So looking at, you know, overhead and some of the other expenses, recognizing that organizations um, really needed to be fully, you know, funded in all ways to be able to do the, their work. And so I'm hoping that that coupled with, you know, sort of this responsiveness we're seeing during the crisis, changes and transforms the way giving is done. And as part of that, um, I would also love to see more attention and more um, sort of equality and equity around how we are funding organizations led by people of color. Um, I, I am seeing sort of some changing there during this period. I'm hoping that that will also last and that we will sort of see and understand how people who are you know, in these roles and in these positions who have uh, traditionally received much less than their white counterparts really have an opportunity to get the same um, um, amount of support to be able to do the great work in the communities that they serve. Let me ask you to um, fill in a little about that one, too, because I think that um, talking about equity issues in the sector, there's been some peripheral conversation. But as you point out, this this moment of fast action has maybe um, given an opportunity to say, these other barriers that we've talked about in the past for applying, we're just going to have to do without anyway. And maybe those were some of the systemic barriers that were keeping um, some of those applications from organizations led primarily by people of color, serving people of color, uh, that those were the barriers that were, they were facing anyway? Or are there other things that you're seeing that might have um, been contributing to that disparity that are now less of a burden than they were before? How do you see that play out? Yeah, so I see um, there just hasn't been um, the same level of trust around uh, sort of passing, you know, writing the big checks to um, leaders of color. And so 
my understanding, and this is, I am not a DE&I expert, um, but my understanding or sort of my observation has been, there's just been a comfort level with sort of, you know, giving to who we've always given to, or, um, you know, we, you know, this person has the same background as me, or I know better. And so there really has been sort of a, um, a silencing and a restricting of people of color to sort of do their best work or challenging, you know, allowing them to sort of have less and say, my gosh, you've been able to do this with so little, you don't need as much as your, you know, your counterpart over here. And so, which is very unfair. So they're always, or we're always sort of being positioned to have to do more with less. Um, but in this current uh, pandemic, we know that communities of color are um, disproportionately being impacted and affected, whether that be, you know, with loss of um, income, uh, also with just the fatalities in the communities. And so really seeing this as an opportunity to sort of funnel as much money and support to the communities so that we can help to address some of these issues is going to be really important, not just in this moment, but you know, for a, a number of months and years to come. Well, uh, that I, I think uh, super in, interesting and really insightful. And I'm uh, yeah going to be interested to see how that continues to play out and if that trend carries forward. I mean, let's hope that once some of those um, barriers have been broken down and and that more direct giving to those organizations and those leaders happens uh, and we see that we're not, you know, having negative consequences to that, maybe we just have moved past some of those burdens. I, I think that it may be a while before we get past all of them, but maybe we'll make some progress and that would be a good outcome to a very difficult situation if we can get there. So let me ask you about one other comment you made earlier about geography not necessarily being the barrier that perhaps we thought it was prior to this crisis there. Um, I, I used to uh, talk to people about, you know, getting up and going to client sites every day uh, and then just longing for the moment to get back to my desk and get some work done, right? And now I'm always at my desk and I'm <laughs> always going to clients virtually, right? And it is such a change in my day anyway for still talking to people, but without that geographic, I have to take some time to physically go to where you are, um, changes the amount of time and energy that I have to do other things that need to get done. And it really does change my thinking about what's possible. But I've been having those conversations with a lot of charities over the years myself of, um, you know, your supporters do not necessarily have to be the direct beneficiaries that are, you know, able to walk into your building. That doesn't mean they're, that's the a, a prerequisite for supporting your work that they have to physically be able to stroll in and see somebody uh, that way. And now I think much more people are, are, taking advantage of that opportunity to say, wow, this geography thing isn't maybe the barrier that we thought it was. How do we start those conversations with people that might be 100 miles or across the country or whatever, but care about the work we do? And maybe our infrastructure just wasn't really driven that way because we had this assumption that, you know, we're here for, you know, the people that are immediately within this, you know, 20 mile radius or whatever. Uh, so seeing that change, how do we help think about that in the future and accelerate that that idea of supporters being wherever supporters are? Yeah, so I, I think that we are definitely going to see um, 
people thinking beyond, you know, the their area, which is a good thing. I think things as simple as, you know, sharing uh, information on social media, making sure that your website is up to date, uh, that you're sharing frequent updates. Sometimes, you know, nonprofits don't have internal communications teams or they don't have internal um, web support. And so the, you know, information on their website is not updated as frequently as they would like. It may be worth thinking about the, uh, you know, the investment to do that. Now, I want to just touch on the word investment for a minute when I'm sort of making some of these suggestions. Mm -hmm. The way organizations are positioning themselves now is going to determine what unfolds for them for, I want to say, at least the next two years. So um, we do a lot of crisis communications and a lot of crisis management work at the agency. And I know firsthand from experience, the decisions made during a crisis don't just affect what happens during that period, but it goes beyond. And so I think investments in, you know, a PR agency or a PR, you know, person, a one person internal uh, PR communication staff member who can help sort of think about how you want to uh, message and, uh, discuss and share who you are with your various constituents is really important. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I know that uh, Google gives grants for Google ads, maybe more organizations will look at that a little bit more closely to see how they are um, trying to reach people beyond their immediate geographic area. Um, I think sharing thought leadership, I think that there are no limits and um, you know, no bounds to exciting someone about the work of an organization if the leadership has a vision and something that people can buy into and help them to see a different future beyond what's happening today. So we do a lot of work with thought leadership development and helping organizations leaders um, sort of think about what do you want to contribute to this conversation that's different than what's already being talked about? And how do we help people to sort of be become um, ambassadors um, for your brand based on the, the future that you see? Like, how can you sort of get me to buy in to what you see as possible based on your thinking, your expertise, and your insights, and your intimate knowledge of this work? So I think that those are some really exciting ways that people can reach, you know, people across the country and or even in other parts of the world. And I think that it's also going to require um, a steady drumbeat of activities to sort of keep everyone up to date and aware of what the organization is doing. And so um, I know, and this happens in our agency as well, so it's not just a nonprofit thing, but sometimes, you know, a situation happens, you know, you respond, you do a couple of activities, and then there are other more pressing, urgent issues, and you sort of stop what you're doing and you sort of tend to the next thing. I think that communications, and we're seeing it, right? We are we're understanding um, in different ways how key communications um, is important. We look at sort of how we're receiving news right now, how we're interacting with it, how we're, you know, sort of um, staying in touch, you know, socializing with people on social media. Communications is at the heart of everything that is happening while we're sheltering in place. And so we need to think about the ways that we are connecting and how do we continue that um, even after this period to make sure that people know what we're doing, that they get excited about it. And ideally sort of it activates Activates them and catalyzes them to support organizations. So let me ask you to maybe shift just a little bit from some of these things that we've been, well, no, oh gosh darn it. Now I've got one more thing I want to ask about that's a little bit more internal. Then I do want to get on to some of these more external 
things. But I do think one other area where we're seeing a, a potential longer term future shift is in nonprofit governance itself, where uh, the the mode of making a decision uh, on the traditional, we meet once a month with the full board, they approve things, you know, uh, maybe it's even less than once a month, um, is perhaps being disrupted at this time as well, both in the frequency of those conversations, but also in their nature. Um, I, I love the idea of being able to be in a room and understand kind of from everybody's physical reactions, how they're absorbing this. Are they engaged? Do they have things to say? And losing that is hard, but gaining the flexibility to uh, meet people without having to kind of gather in that space changes the governance side of the equation as well. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I I think that, uh, yes, you do lose some of those in-person reactions or just that sort of connection that is important to help, a, you know, an organization keep their board excited or in the know and get to know, you know, one another. Um, but since we don't have a choice right now, I think that rather than sort of, you know, throwing up our hands and saying, oh, you know, we're not connecting with the board, using the technology, you know, setting up, you know, Zoom rooms for particular committees to sort of, you know, to uh, discuss certain issues and then maybe bringing everyone back together, um, finding ways to, you know, give them regular updates. So we have some clients who are doing you know, daily or weekly, you know, sort of dispatch sort of talking about what, what they're seeing and what's changing. Um, asking the board to really uh, help them think about it, you know, what they should be doing. So ideally there is some diversity on the board around uh, skill sets and experiences that can help lead in uh, or sort of assist a, an organization's leadership in navigating this crisis. Um, I think that, you know, someone who has financial experience and being able to say, this is how you should be thinking about, you know, the money that we currently have, or how are we going to meet any shortfalls? Someone who uh, has experience with legal sort of thinking about, you know, any legal concerns. And so really this is a time for the board to support an organization. I know that sometimes during a crisis, um, the board feels that it's their responsibility to sort of, you know, take the lead and sometimes unfortunately overshadow um, the the thinking or the, the role of the CEO. I disagree with that. I think that if this, you know, if this person is a, a strong leader, that you should rely on them to tell you as a board member what they need and, you know, get in line, you know, get, get in formation and sort of support them. This is not the time for, you know, individual board members or for committees to sort of um, say, no, you know, we, we don't think that's what you want to be doing um, without a full understanding of what's at stake and sort of how the organization operates intimately. Do you think that echoes for the next couple of years then? <sighs> Yes and no. And so I think that um, we've had the, the privilege of working with some uh, incredible organizations that have had amazing boards. And we've worked with some incredible organizations that have had not such amazing boards. And I think it's sort of an individual scenario. Um, I hope that somehow the crisis will allow us to be a little bit more discerning in how we are selecting board members. Um, you know, sometimes board members, and this is not all, so, you know, please no hate mail, um, but <laughs> sometimes board members, you know, join a board because they're excited about, you know, what the organization does or, 
the name cachet, and then they don't really do anything to support the organization and to sort of move it towards its greatness. And so I, I hope that we're able to be more selective in how we are recruiting board members and what we're asking of them. Like this whole notion of, um, you know, oh, we have a you know a board who isn't a fundraising board. Well, if the typical bylaws say that, you know, the board has fiscal responsibility, I don't understand how that makes any sense if they're not doing any fundraising or if they're not sort of, you know, uh, giving, you know, uh, boldly of themselves, you know, writing major checks themselves each year. And so I think there's some disconnect. And I know that sometimes, you know, people feel, well, you know, even if we have some people, that's better than no people. I don't know if that's always the case. Mm. Uh, so I think the opportunity is really for, uh, organizations to connect with board members and to be more selective in uh, how they are um, onboarding uh, board members and really for board members to think about how they can support organizations and sort of following the leader versus, you know, leading the leader. Yeah. I think there's this moment too of, uh, for a long time there, I've been on boards where it's like, well, you know, we can't really send out information by email because such and such doesn't have email. So let's just print everything. And, you know, we'll and we kind of made that transition. And now I think we may be at this place of um, boards have been reluctant to think about that more nimble, quick uh, participatory work uh, electronically in terms of a, a, a fast Zoom call or whatever. Because it's like, well, not everybody has that or not everybody's used to it. So let's just get together in person. Let's get our schedules together. And I'm sure in a you know, really quick five or six weeks, we'll get to something. And you're like, <laughs> you know, um, it may be that this moment sort of pushes us to look, we, we value everybody's participation, regardless of sort of your perceived technological access. But let's start working those issues out. If you're not a very te comfortably technical person, whatever, what support can we provide to you so that you can start joining those conversations that way and the organization starts to move forward rather than being held back by good people, well-meaning people. But um, if, if we play down to the lowest common denominator, I think it really does slow response and maybe we can't afford to be slow in response anymore. We absolutely cannot afford to be slow right now. Uh, I think that the technology, the use of technology, we're seeing it everywhere. And um, we have one client who is bringing, you know, technology into nursing homes and elderly people using Zoom. You know, we have stories of grandmothers and great grandmothers wanting to see their grandbabies. And so uh, I think that everybody is using uh, technology in ways that they hadn't sort of um, predicted previously. And so jumping on a Zoom call is not challenging. It's, you know, literally clicking a link and sort of, you know, showing up. Uh, I think that organizations need to guide their board and their staff around how they can responds quickly uh, to the different changes that need to sort of be addressed. I know that in the startup culture, you know, they do these sprints where they dedicate, you know, X amount of days to a particular challenge. I think that uh, adopting that during this crisis and just trying to make sure that there is a process in place um, to sort of address things as they come up will be really beneficial for organizations. Yeah. So that kind of touches on the thing that I wanted to get to a little while ago, and I diverted myself back into this board thing, but about the external 
um, work with people because I also think that there's been some reluctance to try to um, think about how we connect our mission work in that broader community for services we deliver or or connections with people around the mission work, not necessarily just the communications part or the fund development part, but the actual delivery of whatever it is we do, where maybe in the past we've been a little reluctant to say, well, we don't want to deliver that online because there's so many people that that's hard for. So let's hold ourselves to this other standard. Let's change this. This may be the time where we also say, how do we help bring our constituency, our service groups and whatnot to the point where they can use those tools so we can be that organization that delivers those things online and is ready to go, especially if, you know, heaven forbid, we end up with, you know, round two or round three of this in the coming 18 months or two years or whatever, where maybe we get out of this particular um, stay at home order cycle for a little while, but we may go back into one. Where are we moving that future of how do we be ready to meet those needs in those types of situations again with the service delivery side of our work? Well, I think against the backdrop of uh, all of the, you know, work that needs to be done in this moment to sort of deliver, you know, uh, programs and services uh, as you have previous uh, to COVID, I think uh, that's happened, that should be happening against the backdrop of some internal planning about how do we sort of address those issues that you just spoke about. And so when you think about it, most nonprofit organizations were not prepared to sort of um, go from in office to working from, from home or working remotely. There are certainly some challenges um, that some of them are still experiencing, but everybody is sort of finding their rhythm. And so I see, uh, we, we now know that it's possible. So for however many years, you know, organizations have said, oh, you know, we're not the kind of organization that can do that or our work doesn't allow that. Well, now that we've all been forced to work from home, we see that everyone pretty much can do so. Um, and so how do you extend that in a way uh, that also allows the people that you serve or the programs that you offer to have that same level of effectiveness that you did in person? Um, will it require some sort of you know, shifting? Will there be some discomfort? Will there be some resistance? Absolutely. But we, we know that this is not going to be a quick fix. We understand that there could be you know, second or third wave or you know, waves that um, are even worse than what we're seeing now. And so I think that organizations who take this time to plan to have conversations, I mean, maybe they're donors who you can have a conversation with about, listen, we don't know what, what this is gonna look like, but we want to plan for this. And so we're doing a fund or we're asking some of our donors to contribute so that we can be prepared to be able to respond and support of the organization, uh, me, the people who need us most, um, you know, and have this infrastructure ready. I think that to me, that shows um, sort of, you know, some forward thinking. It shows, you know, an opportunity to sort of be, uh, sort of innovate and to really be able to ride the wave of this change. There is uncertainty here, but there are some general themes that we see uh, that organizations can sort of think about and apply how they can use it to just make their organization stronger and and um, sort of nimble. Yeah, we're, we're running a little low on time. So I want to ask if there's kind of thoughts about how people are responding right now in what feels like a more reactive mode, but shifting that thinking to, you know, where do we take advantage of this and move the whole organization forward two, three years from now based on what we're seeing happening in here? And that may feel like uh, you know, trying to make you know, lemonade out of some lemons here. But I, I do think that there's 
there, there's got to be an opportunity to think about this in terms of all of the things we've just been talking about for the last 40 minutes boil down to how do you as an organization start really thinking about being that more flexible, more nimble, more responsive to the environment organization? And what can we learn from right now to do that? Well, so the reality is that most organizations do not have the space to think, right? There's just a million things happening every day, all day at the same time. Um, you need, in order to think, to come up with a plan, to be strategic, to be creative, you have to allow space for that. Um, the nonprofit sector is historically legendary for being a sector of sacrifice, right? How can I give all of myself all of the time, um, you know, to, to this work? And so I think that we need a uh, a reimagining of you know, like what self-care looks like, how we sort of have that balance, how we take care of ourselves so that we can do the work that needs to be done. Um, but uh, in, in other organizations, you hear CEOs of major Fortune 500 companies or startups talking about, you know, uh, one day per week, I take, you know, half a day or a full day and that's my thinking day. I have time to think and create and envision the future. I don't hear any nonprofit organizations talking about that. Um, about five years ago, maybe a little longer, I started taking like half a day um, to, to, to just think. And then it I enjoyed it so much and found it so valuable that it evolved to like every Thursday is my thinking day. Like I don't want to do any sort of work, um, anything that sort of has to connect with like, you know, the, the busy sort of, you know, I'm in the trenches, but just allowing myself the freedom to like go to a space where I feel comfortable and relaxed and can think. And it really has trained, transformed how I've thought about our organization and how I want us to sort of show up in this space. Yeah, I think that's great advice as we have to kind of wrap up here. We're just about out of time, but I, I think getting people that idea of um, many of us have been forced to take a little bit more time than we normally would because programs are canceled, events are canceled, whatever it might be. And there was a quick moment there of, oh my gosh, panic, we have all these decisions to make. But I do think that we're given more of a breather somewhere in there to um, to not do for just a moment and to just be for a moment. And that's a great piece of advice to start thinking about how do we adjust to our, our new future. Mm -hmm. So with all that said, I, I do uh, want to thank you. Vanessa Wakeman is the uh, nonprofit futurist and CEO of the Wakeman Agency. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed this conversation and I hope it is helpful to your listeners.